Well, good morning. My name is Lee Taylor. I'm the discipleship pastor and welcome to worship this morning. Hopefully it's been a good summer for many of you. You've been able to be with family, to travel around, to do some fun things. I know school, at least for my two, are starting this week. And so there's mixed emotions of uh, excitement from, you know, mom and dad that there is some structure to our life again. Um, but also that, uh, the, 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 yeah, I get to enjoy school and see friends and do all those things. But got to do some fun things this summer. And I know one of the things, uh, we didn't do this summer, but we have in the past, uh, been able to, uh, several times, gone whitewater rafting before. I don't know if you guys have ever gone up to the mountains, gone whitewater rafting, done that a couple times. The first time I actually went... Uh, was back in Tennessee, in East Tennessee. There's a few places out there that you can do that. And I remember the first time, I think I was like fifth or sixth grade or something like that. And uh, we're getting all psyched up with a group of friends. We're gonna go do that. Maybe a little bit nervous, hesitant, not really sure what this is gonna be like. And uh, we get there and they do this little training time uh, before you go whitewater rafting. And I don't know uh, what it was like for you if you've been before, but for me, the entire training time was just what to do when you fall out. There was no other things that were a part of the training. I'm like, I'm expecting to know how to use like the paddles really well and to, to navigate the rapids and all these different things. And it was just all about how to prepare for when you fall out, which apparently you're not supposed to put your feet down because then they can get stuck, stuck in the rocks and then you'll definitely drown and go forward. And, and I don't know. Uh, Ironically, our boat was like the only one, our raft was the only one that did not tip over and we were fine through it all. But I saw a lot of people that were tipped over and falling and I did see a few people put feet down, but I think they were okay. Uh, But it was very fascinating that the entire thing was just how to prepare for when you fall out. And in passage in Isaiah 56, he's starting this off for us to understand God through Isaiah of how to prepare for the coming salvation of the people, how to prepare for the coming salvation. And so we'll look at a few things this morning. We've got three kind of points that kind of break out this text. And first we'll see in the first couple verses of how to prepare for the coming salvation. Secondly, in verses three and four, who's included in this? And then lastly, in verses five through eight, what does this salvation accomplish? What does it accomplish? So first, how to prepare for the coming salvation. Look again at verses one and two. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So what we see here just kind of starting off with this text is that we are to devote ourselves to the life that reflects what he has revealed to be right, what God has revealed to be right. So we see this outlined throughout the Old Testament. We see God's law instituted and upheld. It's not just about doing this because by doing this, we will be more loved, we will be more, you know, in good standing It's in doing these things that in this devotion to following who God is that we will be preparing our hearts for the coming salvation. 16 times 
which is a third of the total times that we see in Scripture, but 16 times in Isaiah, these words of, of justice and righteousness are paired together. And so it's very much at the core of what Isaiah has been outlining throughout this entire prophetic book of being able to see justice and righteousness at the very heart of who God is and what he wants his people to be about in our life. We're to hold fast the covenant that God has laid out in his word. And if you think about this, justice and righteousness is really kind of just a good rubric for how to live and how to make decisions. How do we think about these things? Now, of course, you know, justice is a word that gets thrown out a lot these days and has a lot, maybe a lot of different meanings behind that or people are coming at it from different perspectives and but it's extremely important to understand this. We are trying to see that, that we are to, to put these things on, to put on justice, to put on righteousness. And as much as we want to uphold that, that we would really think about justice as what does it look like to, to bring about human flourishing? What does it look like to, to uphold God's law? And even we can, I think it's important for us to, to pull from this as well as to think, what is our heart posture? What is our mentality even behind how and what we talk about when we're talking about justice? We might talk about justice and want to, to, to speak about it very adamantly and with a lot of just kind of, you know, I don't know, just kind of devotion or even just sometimes... Um, sometimes even just picking a fight. Do we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit even when we're talking about these things? Because you say, we're talking about justice. We want to uphold justice. Are our words kind? Are they gentle? Are they soaked in love? And it's also a very important thing of understanding our heart posture when we look at God's word and we look at his law, when we think about these things from the first couple of verses where he's saying to keep justice and to do righteousness and that blessed is the man who does this, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it. You know, the Sabbath is mentioned several times in this passage and, you know, it's a, it's a, something we can think about from different perspectives. We've, people have varying opinions on the Sabbath and that's okay. But here's something that the Sabbath is not. The Sabbath is not just for you. The Sabbath is not to be something that we just get to do whatever we want. We kind of figure out what we want to do. We just, it's kind of like a free day, a fun day. The Sabbath, historically, and even as we uphold today, it's the Lord's day. It's something that we set apart unto the Lord to join in corporate worship and to rest in him. You know, much of this passage highlights the beauty of Christian community. And when it comes to, to worship, when it comes to what we're doing right now, a lot of times we kind of think about it kind of like we have different options that we can kind of choose. We, we're, we're, we're products, whether we like it or not, we're products of our society. As, as Chris just mentioned, we are in a very individualistic society. We celebrate the freedom of choice and, and all these things, and it's not necessarily inherently bad, 
But when it comes to topics like this, we come to, you know, a given weekend or a time of the year and we think, okay, there's these different things that I can do and there's these different things that I can do. And we think about what's going on in, in, our, in, our, in our daily life and our practices. And when it comes to worship, we can often think, okay, if I go there, I know it's gonna kind of be like this. We're gonna, we're gonna sing these songs. I'm gonna see these people. I'm gonna do these things. And then I could also do this stuff over here and I could go and, you know, I could enjoy this hike or do this, you know, go to breakfast, sleep in, do whatever go on, go up to the mountains. And we start to just kind of weigh these things of like, I know if I decide not to do this, that I'm gonna be, I know kind of what I'm gonna miss and I know I'll get to experience this. And it's a very individualistic mentality of way to kind of view how we live and how we make decisions because the true biblical understanding is that we are a body of believers, that we're a body, that we're connected, that we're a community. And so maybe a different way, this really kind of helped change my perspective several years ago when someone explained this to me that we think about coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ and joining together and celebrating the sacraments, that if I'm not a part of that, it's not just what I'm missing, it's also what people are missing out on me. People are missing, now missing out on my presence, the gifts that I bring, the participation in worship that we all enjoy as a corporate body, we miss out on one another being a part of that. Now, of course, you know, we can be legalistic and kind of guilt-oriented about this, and so don't hear what I'm not saying, but what if we thought about it that way, more of kind of a community-oriented view of the body of Christ and how we come together, as opposed to I come in, I listen, I hear, and then I leave and, and not engaging and being apart with one another. So we must understand the motivation behind our obedience, the motivation behind it. It's so important to understand these things. We don't obey the law in order to find joy out of the joy that we have from who God is and as a part of being we list of believers out of that joy, then we obey, we follow, we listen. This is the godly blessedness that the prophet outlines in verse two, where he says, blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, who understands the truth behind this, who understands the beauty and the joy of being a part of the people of God. So we see how to response to the joy of being God's people. Now, upon first reading of verses one and two, we might ha kind of have a tendency to think that the prophet Isaiah is, you read those and you kind of think that he's talking about us. And then if you look down into verses three and four, where he starts to talk about the foreigner and the eunuch, you start to think, okay, now he's talking about people from other parts of the world you know, underprivileged places, or he starts to think about these people that are very different from us that, you know, have maybe chosen some kind of questionable lifestyle or just choose to kind of do things differently. And we have to stop for a second. He's talking about us when we get to verses three and four, at least to verse three, where he starts to say, we are the Gentiles 
and unless maybe you come from Hebrew lineage or something like that, we see how to prepare for the coming salvation. And we see, secondly, who is included in this? Who is God including in this coming salvation? We all desire to be included, to be in the know, maybe even as C.S. Lewis outlines, that be a part of the inner ring in one of his essays. He talks about that. We always desire to be on the inside of that. One of those situations for me since moving here in 2016, uh, being a part of Village 7, being a part of Colorado Springs, is getting educated with all of the military lingo. Yes, I've been so lost and confused in conversations with many of you, uh, talking about these different things that have, I don't even understand what you mean half the time. It might as well be Mandarin or something like that. You're using all these acronyms and talking about these different things and you know, you'll be talking about BHA and PCS and LES and you know, for us civilians, those would be basic allowance for housing permanent change of station and leave an earning statement. Now, one of our elders made it into a little insider joke for me. They kind of helped me out with this by saying, if your BHA is messed up on your LES right before you PCS, then you have a real problem. <laughs> I don't even think I know what it means still, but I've also learned that, you know, that 10th group does not mean that they are the 10th best group. Um, <laughs> We all have our insider talk. It's okay, Chris and I will be talking about superlapsarianism and the new perspective on Paul and things like that. No, we don't, we just talk about our kids and he keeps showing us pictures of Mireille, his granddaughter. <laughs> but it's easy to feel excluded and that's why, it's, that's why you know, the highlights that, that we have here Verses three and four, the beauty of inclusion. The beauty of inclusion that we see here. Look at verses three, actually three, four, and five. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now God through Isaiah includes foreigners and eunuchs and this would have been a real head scratcher for people to read during this time because these two groups were, were not seen as being a part of the people of God by and large. The people of God started from, as Chris mentioned earlier, from Abraham and it was a family that God grew into a great nation. And so unless you trace yourself back to that lineage, you were not really, you were not part of the people of God. And so the foreigners and the eunuchs were excluded. And in actuality, they were excluded from even worshiping in the temple. And so there was a very real experience of being an outsider. And for the foreigners, it was, it was seemingly all about the people of Israel. Now this was obviously before Jesus and the apostles taking the gospel to the Gentiles. So why is it that God through Isaiah is really broadening the scope and making this bold inclusion hundreds of years before Jesus? We see it as the beauty of 
I mean, it's a prophetic text of talk about preparing for the coming salvation and what God is going to do on a grand scale. But even still, we know that it's always been by faith. If you remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 talking about Abraham and saying that he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't about that Abraham at that time was even from the right family or from the right people. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so it's always been by faith. And this is a beautiful, beautiful proclamation of the gospel even here in this time, in this context the people of Israel needed this reminder. The foreigner needed this good news, and we, as foreigners, again, need this good news. Something amazing about Christianity that's really different from every other world religion is that Christianity is truly the only global religion. If you look at it statistically across the globe and where kind of religion started and kind of where they stand today. If you think about even Islam, by and large, it still rests solely, the, ma the vast majority, within the Middle East, North Africa, kind of where it got started. Hinduism and Buddhism vastly, you know, rest and are located within Asia, where it kind of started. But Christianity, uh, and there's, you know, a lot of statistics that are out here on this. I saw one from, from Gordon Conwell that showed kind of the, the spread of where Christianity is across the globe. And there is a pretty even split between North America and Europe and Africa and Asia and Latin America. Almost not, I mean, not perfectly, but a very even split across the entire globe of where Christianity is, which is obviously not where it all started. It started and uh, where it went to. So God is gathering and has gathered his people from all the nations. And so even as we see in three and four and five, as he's broadening the scope to the foreigner and to the eunuch, he is gathering his people from all the nations. And we know one of the most visceral human emotions is to be accepted God gave the people of Israel a way to be accepted. And now God, through Isaiah, is broadening the scope and gathering people from all nations. God brings people together and does not push people away. And we can be encouraged by this because we are a body of believers, but we are also encouraged gathering people together and reaching out to those that are different than us, following the model that we have here in this text. God will not only bring acceptance to his people, but to the foreigner and the eunuch. Now, why was this profound for the eunuch? If you see in verses four and following. Well, first, and, and I'll be brief, um, a eunuch was a castrated male. Uh, there were several reasons for castration at this time. Uh, one might have been that, you know, there was certain people that certain religions that led, were led to believe that, you know, the body was bad and the spiritual was good. And so they would take that very seriously. Um, and, but there was others. And maybe I think in this context to think about uh, if one wanted to work their way up into a kind of the royal family, into the monarchy, into the nobility, and you were not a part of that, there was really no way to get in once you were if you were not a part of those families. And so 
If you wanted to work your way up, then you would have to be castrated in order to be trusted. And so you could find yourself higher up in the family if you were not a part of that family by doing these things. Meaning lineage, that you would not have sons and daughters and a, uh, yeah, heirs to whatever you might have, to the money or the things, possessions that you have. So their future hope and aspirations rested pretty much solely in their career. Now, what if one of these people believed in God? Could you pursue a holy and righteous life as a eunuch? We know in Deuteronomy 23 that eunuchs were excluded from the temple. And so what hope did they have? We don't have to wonder too much about this because several hundred years later after this passage, we hear in Acts chapter eight about the Ethiopian eunuch and about Philip the evangelist going and preaching the good news. This man in Acts chapter eight was a court official for Queen Candace in Ethiopia. So he was likely very well known and successful, wealthy maybe, he I mean, had enough money to have his own chariot. And he wanted to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, which is, you know, he couldn't like catch a, an American Airlines flight at that point. You know, this would have been a very, very long and dangerous journey where, you know, even the, the thought of, of being able to survive this wasn't certain. Traveling all the way to Jerusalem to go and to worship only to be rejected and to not be able to go into the temple. So he's on his way back to Ethiopia, just reading an Isaiah scroll from Isaiah 53, led by the Holy Spirit, by the angel of the Lord. Philip goes and is, is commanded to go and explain the gospel to this man. Explain the gospel to him. And so he going and wanting to know more about who God is, reading through the Isaiah scroll. I, I haven't seen an Isaiah scroll uh, in my lifetime, uh, but I imagine that, you know, Isaiah 56, our text this morning, probably would have been very close to where he was reading in Isaiah 53. So it's not too far-fetched to think literally within the same kind of time and minutes hours, days of, of talking with Philip, him also reading in Isaiah 56 that there is hope for eunuchs to not only be accepted, but have a name that is better than sons and daughters. Isn't that what we all want? We all desperately want a name. We want to name. And that's what we'll see in this last part of what does this salvation accomplish? Look down there again with me in verse five. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. An everlasting name. We care about names and titles, don't we? care about these different things. And I mentioned military earlier. I know you certainly, it's a big part of that culture is knowing your, your rank, where you're ranked, where other people rank, the titles, all those different kind of things. Some of you know uh, my wife, Becky, and she's a counseling professor and a licensed counselor, and she has her doctorate in counseling, and she's a total boss, um, kind of a fan. 
Um, but she, she got her doctorate. We had some close friends that kind of wanted to stick it to me, something like that. They made a point to address it to Mr. and Dr. Taylor, uh, just to kind of, just a little jab there. Now by, you know, Becky does not care about the title at all. This is all about my insecurities here. Um, and, and those kind of things. And so I was very quick to, you know, when I got ordained, I was like, now it's Reverend and Dr. Taylor. And I don't think they really care, but, um, but we want status and we want to name. And this is what God through Isaiah so beautifully portrays in these verses. What does this salvation accomplish for us? You think about the eunuch and you think about even that eunuch from Acts chapter eight, what status, what name? We don't even have his name in Acts chapter eight. What kind of name can you have? What does this salvation accomplish for us? An everlasting name that is better than sons and daughters. And some of you may not be particularly proud of who you are, maybe of your name, of what your family represents maybe things that you've done in your life, maybe people have placed some unkind labels on you or said some unkind words about you and you feel like this is almost like a black cloud that just kind of follows you around, that you can't get, you can't get out from under that. Hear me, friends, from Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Not only no condemnation, but as Paul also outlines in Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. That is your lineage. That is your name. Peter affirms the same things to a group of Christians that are all scattered and dispersed and don't have any sense of camaraderie or community amongst believers. And he tells them that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you remember this joy of transformation in your life? Coming together as a body of believers, being a part of a community, being a part of something that, a name that is greater than any other name, an everlasting name from from exclusion to, inc to inclusion, from condemnation to grace, from fear to joy. God makes the invitation to all people and to all nations. That's the beauty of what we see there at the very end of this passage where he talks about, I, who, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather yet others to him, besides those already gathered. We have a God who gathers us together, who brings people in, who opens this up so that we can know him and love him. No matter what your background is, we have a God who gathers and he's called us to gather, to reach out to those who are lost, who are marginalized, who are hurting, who are displaced. We all have things to work on in, in loving those like this and in gathering people together as the body of Christ. But one of the many things that I love about this church here, that I love about Village 7, 
from all different ages and stages. We have a church that is, just looks very different. As I look out right now, I can just see all different ages and we hear little cries and we hear different things like that. We, 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 we can just appreciate the diversity that we have. And although it's not from, it's often from tragic and, and really sad situations, I love that we are a church that has about 100 widows. That we're a church that wants to love the widow such an amazing ministry to those that have lost a loved one. And, and how you, as, as, as widows here, we have a Village 7, you still continue to serve and you, and you love and you pour out and you mentor and you care for one another. And even, it's beautiful, but very different than eunuchs, but like eunuchs can feel very disconnected from the family system, can feel very isolated and alone. And I love that we can try and care for them and strive and we put deacons, we have connect deacons with all of our widows to love, care for them. Even as a church family in general, I love that, that, that my girls, my two girls look to many of you and just see you as family to my girls, that you care for them, you, you wanna be around them and, and that we as a church take Deuteronomy chapter six very seriously and wanting to raise our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and we want to, to talk about the gospel and the truth of his word as we're living life together and we take baptism vows seriously because we know that it's not about having our names. It's not about the Taylors or the Hodges or the Wolfs or one of you five families that everybody seems to be connected to here at Village 7. We here at Village 7 are unified around the everlasting name. An everlasting name that is greater than any other name. How might God want to use you to bring others in, to gather people in, to make room for all kinds of people, even here at our church and in this city? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who gathers, that you have gathered us, you've brought us near, you've given us a name, your name. We have your identity, a name that is above every name. We praise you for that. Lord, we live in a, a culture and a society that sometimes hinders our understanding of community. It hinders our understanding of how to join with one another, how to share, how to love, how to care. It's very easy to be isolated and to just think about ourselves but you have gathered us together. You've broadened the scope to love the foreigner, the eunuch, the marginalized, the outcast, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and elevated us to give us a name, Lord. I pray that we would look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.